if you're not already burnt out, you will be burnt out and your body will find the most inopportune time to make sure that you get the rest that it needs. We only have one body. We only have one life. Prioritize that before work. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of changing career paths so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work they find more fulfilling. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share her story of relaunching her career as a tax consultant to a data scientist. We're going to talk about the impact your health can have on your career and how to manage the challenges of going into a brand new field with a non-traditional background. Afterwards, I'll talk about the importance of taking care of yourself and not feeling like you have to be hustling all the time. Today, I'm speaking with Erica Rusi, who's currently a data scientist at IBM after completing a four-month data science boot camp at the Flatiron School. Previously, she worked as a tax associate for PricewaterhouseCoopers with responsibilities that included mergers and acquisitions, transaction cost analysis, and as a fund accountant for Credit Suisse, where, amongst other things, she developed accounting enhancements for IT teams. Her family's originally from Colombia. And these days in her spare time, she loves going on walks with her recently adopted senior dog, Marmee. Now, I first heard about Erica's career change story in an article in The Muse, where she discussed how she managed to make this big career change from accountancy to data science through a combination of upskilling, coaching, networking, and finding her inner confidence to overcome imposter syndrome. So I really wanted to get someone like her onto the show. Now, Erica is going to be sharing a rather personal story with you about discovering she has a chronic medical condition, which she was managing while at the same time trying to make a good impression at work and figuring out what she really wanted to do with her career. So if you're someone who's been struggling with any emotional or physical challenges yourself, or you've had to interrupt your career to take care of your health, or if you've just been working nonstop lately and you're feeling kind of drained, you're going to want to listen to Erica's story, which is a good reminder to us all about making sure we're always mindful of our health and well-being, no matter how busy work gets. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 77. Erica spoke with me from Brooklyn, New York. Good morning, Erica, and welcome to Career Relaunch. It is great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I was hoping we could just start off by having you give me a snapshot of what has been occupying you recently, both in your personal and professional life. I'll start off with my professional. So I am a data scientist at IBM. I work with trying to get more data awareness, make more data-driven decisions for an internal team. And I'm also working on natural language processing so I'm working on a chatbot for internal teams at IBM. What exactly does a data scientist do? That's a great question because not a lot of people have a definitive answer. It's one of those very hype terms right now. So I think it means something different to different people. But in a general sense, it usually means someone that codes in Python or R and they do some machine learning. They also could be doing some dashboards, be putting dashboards together, 
be involved in data pipelines. So we talk a lot about big data, and that just means someone that's able to get a handle on these giant streams of data to really understand what's going on, to be able to detect patterns, to help people make decisions. Very interesting. Well, I do want to get into how you ended up getting into this path, but I think uh, be very interested in also just hearing what's been occupying you just on the personal side of things outside of work. It's a little tough to share just because I am such a private person, but I do think it it is my responsibility um, to share. I have an autoimmune disease called fibromyalgia, so it just means I tend to have a lot of widespread pain all around my body. It mostly focuses on my upper body. And you'll also hear maybe people have brain fog. So it just, it makes me a little tired, um, makes it harder for me to understand things or to just really focus on things. And it's really similar to long COVID. And when I actually most recently spoke to my rheumatologist, he pretty much said that fibromyalgia is long COVID. So it is very similar to what hundreds of thousands of people are currently experiencing with COVID. And it happened in a similar way for me that I had a virus and my body just reacted very overreacted with an immune response. So this past year was really tough for me. The summer was really rough because heat is one of my triggers. I just had a really awful summer pain-wise and lack of focus. So that's really what I've been dealing with this summer. And I'm happy to share all this, especially because I'm I'm sure so many people are going through it and it may not be obvious when someone's going through it. So yeah, I just want to share that to really just spread awareness. Thank you very much for sharing that, Erica. And I know that we actually tried to record this earlier, but I know you had a surgery recently. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. What did that involve? And was that related to the fibromyalgia? It's hard to tell if it was related. So Part of fibromyalgia is also the inability to sleep, have restful sleep. So I was having a hard time getting restful sleep as well. I think part of it was related to my nose, for lack of a better word. I I did get a septoplasty and a turbinate reduction. So that just means my deviated septum was corrected and turbinates, which are the filters at the back of the nose, they were reduced. So the idea is that this will help me breathe better and it will help me sleep better. So it's tough with an autoimmune disease because there's so many moving parts. You don't really know if it's a mechanical issue or if it's your body, your predisposition to something. So hopefully this will just help me on a more general level, get better rest and reduce the amount of issues associated with fibro. Yeah, hopefully the surgery helps and I hope that that helps you get back on your feet because I know that in our exchanges over email, I know you have had a tough few months here. So again, I appreciate your willingness to come onto the show and also just your willingness to share a little bit about your personal story. Before we dive into your full career story, because I do want to get to that and I I do want to talk about how this has affected you in your career. Can you also just give a little glimpse about your family and where you grew up? Because when we spoke before, I understand your parents are Colombian Mm -hmm. and they moved to the United States when you were pretty young. Is that right? Yeah. So I was born in Colombia and we came to the States when I was six in 1992. It was a violent time in Colombia and 
my dad had lost his job. So we were definitely looking for a place with more opportunity. As cliche as that sounds, it really was the best decision for us. Let's kind of take this one piece at a time here. And I'd like to go back in time a little bit more Mm -hmm. before you were working as a data scientist of user behavior at IBM. I know you haven't always done that. Way back in the day, you were actually working in tax and tax consulting. Could you just take me back to the time that you were working at Price Waterhouse Coopers, and then we can move forward from there? I was in accounting undergrad, and I did my master's in tax. And then I got a position at PwC in tax consulting. It was a pretty stressful job as PwC, one of the big four accounting firms, you go in and you're hired because you're young and you can work long hours. And that was definitely part of the job. It was also just really stressful and it ultimately wasn't the industry for me, but I'm still very grateful for the time that I had there. I I did learn so much just about project management, very basic soft skills like writing emails and just dealing with teams. That was really invaluable that time I had at PwC. And what triggered you to move on from doing that kind of work? I was so desperate to get out. I think um, when I was at PwC, because I was at that point, I had been diagnosed with with the fibromyalgia. So I was in my mid twenties and I had gone on medical leave for two years. And when I had returned, I returned to the same role. It was just really hard to manage that kind of job with what was going on with me personally, with my health situation, but also I ultimately just was really unhappy in that role. So I was looking for a job in accounting. I didn't really matter if it was in tax or otherwise. And I got a job at Credit Suisse as an accountant, non-tax accountant. And that's how I transitioned there. Okay. Now you mentioned the medical leave. So this was the time when you heard the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. It was 23. Yep. I see. And can you just take me back to the moment when you heard that news? What ran through your head after you heard that? To a certain extent, relief, because I definitely felt like it was a little crazy. I was so young to be so, so sick and bedridden really at that point. This was, like I said, I was working really long hours. It was really stressful. And then on the weekends, I would just sleep the entire time and I couldn't really figure out what was wrong with me. I was in a lot of pain and just work was really, really hard for me. And I just assumed it was related to work. I just assumed I was just really burnt out, but I went to the doctor just to make sure that maybe it was something else. Maybe I had Lyme disease, you know, there were so many different things it could be and We ran through a bunch of tests, pretty much just trying to exclude everything else like celiac disease or diabetes or arthritis. So when I got that diagnosis, it was a relief in the sense that I knew it wasn't in my head. And there were a few things I could do, you know, it's not a curable thing, but at least now I had something that I could Google or I could figure out what the next steps were. I'm just trying to imagine because you were on medical leave for a couple years. Is that is that right? Yeah, for two years. For two years. And during those two years, you go from working in quite a, I'm going to imagine, quite an intense nonstop 
role mm-hmm. at PwC. You're working professional, white collar, going to the office every day, and then you're on medical leave for two years. What was that like, and how did your perspectives evolve during this time about life and also work? Yeah, I, you know, on the one hand, it was, it was something I needed just to like take a step back because I didn't know what was going on with my body. I knew I had fibromyalgia, but the same time I felt like I had no control of what was going on. I couldn't really manage it. Like I said, um, work was always really tough. And even there was a point where I tried to cut down my hours, but it still felt like the pressure to work longer hours. Even if I was signed up for six, I would still work eight hours. And, you know, I had simultaneous carpal tunnel syndrome at this time too. So I was wearing these ergonomic gloves and trying to I had golfer's elbow too, so I would wear straps on my elbows. It was just, it felt so much more extreme for such a potentially simple disease. You know, it felt really straightforward that I had fibromyalgia, but it just felt like the symptoms just kept getting worse. And of course they did. I was not taking rest. I was really stressed out. I wasn't really addressing the issues. So the medical leave just gave me the time to address everything I needed to address and the issues with my elbow, uh, my diet, the lack of stress. It just gave me the time to really figure out what I needed. Physical therapy too, I would go to physical therapy a lot. So it really was just the moment to try to figure out a strategy for what I was gonna do when I needed to inevitably return to work. The other thing that I'm wondering about here is because I know there was a period of time before you went out on medical leave. sounds like you got a little bit of space to reflect and I guess recover from what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. But before you went on medical leave, you were also experiencing a lot of these things, I'm guessing, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Did people notice? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was really tough, especially in that environment. You're expected to be at 100% at all times. And if you're not at 100%, then you shouldn't be there was, I think, the unspoken rule. There were some people that, my colleagues that were really honest with me and really, in hindsight, I do appreciate it. And they said that you got diagnosed with this, that sucks, but it's just gonna get worse as you get older. You really need to, if you're gonna make it, you really need to push through now because you're young. You have the ability to do that now. You won't have the ability to do that later. So you just gotta put your head down and just go through it, which at the time was really hard to hear, especially it felt like they had no mentorship to really just help me through that. I, I had no guidance. It was tough. I think people expected kind of the push through mentality and that ultimately wasn't something I could do. So I did have to go on medical leave. I want to shift gears here a little bit because I know that you went on medical leave. It sounds like that's what you very much needed at that moment in your life. What happened next for you? I know you mentioned you went over to Credit Suisse. Mm-hmm. And what was the experience of going back into a role in accountancy post medical leave, post finding out that you have this autoimmune disease? After medical leave, I did return to my role at PwC for another two years. So I was able to better manage, I'd say at that point, what was going on. But 
like I said, that role was not for me and I was really desperate to get out. So I think the first job offer I got, I left and I went to Credit Suisse, which was a lot less stressful an experience. It was a more straightforward accounting role. I wasn't doing tax consulting or dealing with clients or consulting projects. So it was just a fund accounting. So we were looking at funds managed by Credit Suisse and we would do the accounting for that. So I'm just trying to imagine, Erica, what it must have been like to get this diagnosis, to have to take a significant chunk of time off from work to basically take care of yourself and to recover you roll back into the office and you're back at your laptop and you're back doing accountancy work. Was that surreal at all for you to go from the medical leave back into your day job and being back in the office and back into the routine? What was that like for you? Like, did that feel weird at all in any way to you? Yeah, I know what you mean. I think the surrealism of it was kind of overshadowed by the need for the need for a routine and the need to feel like I was contributing something. Um, the good thing about my fibromyalgia and especially having it so young was it made me so appreciative of so many things like basic healthcare and the importance of rest and sleeping and good diet. So it kept things in perspective for me. I knew I wasn't having a life or death job, like people in the medical industry, for example. So if anyone ever stressed out or if anyone ever yelled or maybe crossed the line over something really dumb at work, it always felt really unnecessary. Yeah. And that was always really helpful to know that at the end of the day, none of this really matters. This is all just numbers. No one's going to die. We're not performing life-saving surgery. So it was great, but I think I needed work again, especially after my medical leave, just to feel like I was doing something, like I was contributing to a larger need or a larger project that was really lacking when I was on medical leave, just constantly focused on what was wrong with me instead of distracting myself with work, which was so important as well. Yeah. I mean, just going back to the keeping things in perspective, it just made me think of one of my first corporate jobs where I was working at the Clorox company and I was working on the Glad business. I was working on the marketing team and my job was basically to drive demand for Glad trash bags in the market. Mm. And I remember one of my first managers, her name was Linda Lurie. And when I first started there, she said, just remember, there are no trash bag emergencies here. Nothing (laughs) really bad is going to happen to you or anybody else in the world. So go home at a decent time and don't work yourself to death here. Yes, it's a competitive yeah. environment, but there are no trash bag emergencies. And I think that's sort of what you're getting at here. Absolutely. So you've moved on to Credit Suisse now, and mm-hmm. it's providing you with some routine. Around 2018, I understand you went through another transition. Can you just describe what happened to you in 2018? Yeah, I laugh about it now because it was, uh, it's funny in hindsight. So this was right after my birthday. I had gone away for the weekend. And something that the team at Credit Suisse did is whenever it was someone's birthday, they would either surprise them with a cake or buy them cupcakes or donuts, and then sometimes have a little happy birthday singing. And I 
remember going into work that morning and getting a call from my boss to come over to a room in a separate building. And I just, you know, weirdly assumed, oh, it's a birthday thing. It's a little <laughs> early for a birthday thing, but yeah, it's a birthday thing. And I start walking over and then I'm like, no, it's too early for a birthday thing. But I had talked to him about potentially getting promoted this year. Maybe that's what it's about. So I walk over and then I go in and I see it's my boss and some other woman. And I'm like, no, I'm about to get laid off. And uh, that's exactly what, right when I walked in, yeah, I I saw how nervous my boss was and I got laid off and it was very surreal at the moment. I, you know, I thought they were kidding at first because I had just thought, oh, you're going to celebrate my birthday. Um, So I didn't think that was going to happen and it happened and never expected it. That's around September, 2018. Yep. What did you do next? You find out this news, you go home that day, like what's running through your head and what did you do next? The emotions came quickly. I, at first I thought I was the only one getting laid off. So I thought it was more of like a firing situation. Maybe I did something wrong because I had to leave the building right away. But I found out it was a bunch of us getting laid off. And the first week, you know, I just went through it let myself experience these emotions. And I really was expecting my boss at the time, who I was really close with, I was expecting him to reach out and say something like, it was great working with you, or I'm sorry, this happened. He never did actually, but I dealt with that first. And then after that, I luckily have a very supportive husband who just said, do what you gotta do, either look for another job, take the time you need, And ultimately what I decided was, so my plan the whole time was to continue taking Python courses. I had started taking a Python course online on Coursera. Is it programming language? Yep. Programming language. Yeah. And I really loved it. And so I wanted to continue doing that. And I said, okay, well, I got a little severance. Maybe I can do this full time with a lot more accountability that I need to complete classes and I'm paying for classes. So it would be good to just take a boot camp style. And that was in September. And by October, I was starting a data science boot camp with a focus not only on Python, but on overall data science. And that's how I started a boot camp. Okay. And this was at the Flatiron School. Yep. Is that right? Okay. At this point, are you thinking about trying to land a job that requires Python programming skills? The amount of time was so short. I didn't even know what I was expecting. Um, I just knew that I wanted to do some Python programming and I was just going to do this boot camp. Maybe I'd go back into accounting and just have a new set of skills under my belt and that would be that and I would just continue in accounting. I did not think that I was actually going to become a data scientist. I figured I would just learn data science, but probably wasn't for me because To be a data scientist, you need to be a genius. You need to know so much math. And it didn't cross my mind until the very end of the program that, oh, I'm actually going to be a data scientist now. When we spoke before, you mentioned to me just how you found your job. Could you just take me through how in the world do you go from (laughs) being an accountant to then going on medical leave, coming back, going to another accountancy role? I'm imagining that you're quite seemingly potentially siloed in this accountancy world. How do you then make the transition from that into finding a job as a data scientist? It really felt unreal, but 
you know, looking back on it, it does make sense. So how I found the IBM role is one of my classmates in the boot camp. She got a role at IBM working for their internal search team. And part of her larger department, they were also looking for data scientists and she referred me and it was one of a couple of classmates that she referred. And I landed the job. I was more amazed than anyone. <laughs> I really didn't think that that was going to happen, but I mentioned that in, in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. And I do think that the skills that I develop everywhere else, whether it's just basic Excel, basic presentation, basic working with a team, these were skills that some of my classmates straight out of college really didn't have. So. I was able to use those skills as an asset, really, when I was interviewing. And to this day, I think it's amazing to me how much more I use my soft skills than the technical skills that I'm constantly developing. I leverage soft skills all the time. So it makes sense, looking back on it, that I was able to do that. Was there anything in particular that you learned about the job market since you were able to successfully and, and very almost suddenly land this <laughs> job in such a distant, different area from what you were doing before? What did you learn about the job market and how it works? Not to sound repetitive, but I think that that was really the biggest takeaway that I'm competing with data science PhDs and people that are recent graduates, masters in applied math, et cetera. These are highly technical people. I can't compete with them on a technical level. It's just four months at a boot camp is not going to cut it compared to the potential decade of work that they've done in this field. So I don't compete in that sense. I compete by using everything else I learned at my other jobs. And it really is harder to teach soft skills to someone than it is to teach technical skills. So I use that to my advantage. I knew that it's you know, if you're a manager, data science, machine learning, engineering manager, you don't want to have to teach someone how to write an email or how to make a presentation or how to filter down relevant information when you're making a presentation to a higher up. So I knew that I had those skills and that's really what I showcased when I was interviewing. The last thing I was hoping to talk with you about before we wrap up with some of your learnings is just what you're focused on right now at IBM. What exactly is it that you mm -hmm. do at IBM as a data scientist? I know you mentioned the chat box before and machine learning. Can you mm -hmm. just tell me a little bit more about your day-to-day -day job these days? Sure. So I can't mention too much of the technical stuff because we are an internal facing team. One of my favorite parts of the job is really trying to distill machine learning or data science into really just straightforward concepts. It's an industry that tends to be a little gatekeepery and use a lot of really fancy language like machine learning and deep learning. And there's no need for that. I mean, data science and algorithms surround us in so many things that we do. And I think it's so important that people understand how that process works and how it is that a machine does the machine learning, how those patterns get identified. And so just looping people in, whether it's a content writer, a designer, or a higher up that isn't really familiar with the specifics of the technology, it's just really boiling that down for them and just really explaining it in straightforward language so that it's less of a black box. I think it's really satisfying. And I love that part of my job that I can 
make it less gatekeepery and make sure that people have a say and understand what's going on because it, it really is all around us, everything that we're doing with algorithms and data science. Very interesting. Yeah, that is a world that I know virtually nothing about. So you're, you're absolutely right about the need for there to be people out there who can explain it in plain, simple English to those of us who are not involved in that sector. So that's yeah. very interesting. And as someone who really literally just learned it, it is so important for me too, because it felt like it was so unattainable to learn all of these things. And it wasn't. I am here as a data scientist and you know, I may not be as nearly as technically advanced as other people, but I'm still able to code and contribute. So it's important to make sure that other people have a say in, in the things that we're doing. I think that goes back to one of your earlier points about the fact that you didn't have the traditional background that maybe other mm -hmm. data scientists have, but because of that, not in spite of that, but because of exactly, that, you're yeah. actually very well positioned to explain this to people outside of your function. Whereas somebody mm -hmm. who's maybe lived and breathed data science their whole life, they may not be able to extract themselves from it and explain it in a way that's digestible to the uh, average lay person out there. So Exactly. Yeah, very well said. Well, the last thing I was hoping to wrap up with, Erica, was just some of the lessons you've learned along the way of your very interesting mm -hmm. and winding career journey. I know you mentioned the medical condition that you had to manage and that you continue to have to manage in your career and also your life. I know that there are people out there who are also dealing with either a physical disability or they're having to take a leave of absence or even these days, quite commonly, emotional challenges that are really taking over their day-to-day -day life and professional life. But what would you say to other people out there who might be struggling with an emotional or physical mm -hmm. condition, but have maybe just had to either shove it to the side or to just self-manage it. What would you say to people out there who might be struggling with something challenging in their careers? First, I'd say, I'm so sorry. That's really tough. It really is such a challenge. And I don't want to pretend that everyone has the luxury of taking two years of absence. That's definitely not the case for everyone who's incredibly lucky to do that. But I'd say right now, especially in the context of a pandemic, to prioritize your health in whatever way you can, whether that's if you have the ability to take some time off, to really be able to take a step back and listen to your body, figure out what's going on. I don't think pushing through to continue working under the circumstances that you're going through is is healthy. I think if you're not already burnt out, you will be burnt out and your body will find the most inopportune time to make sure that you get the rest that it needs, regardless of whether you need to have an, a super important presentation or need to finish up a project, your body will decide for you. So yeah, to whatever extent you can, please prioritize your health. It's so important. We only have one body. We only have one life. And if nothing else, COVID has taught us that it is so important to prioritize that before work. Health is always before work. Yeah, that is a very good reminder, I think, to all of us, because I think we can all get in this. I guess they actually kind of like in, in kind of in popular media and in movies, they almost glamorize this hustle culture and that you got to work Definitely, hard. You got to yeah. achieve all your goals. You have to finish what you started. And yet there's a cost to all of that. 
And you're right. If you don't pay attention to your body at some point, your body will force you to pay attention. Yep. So thanks for that advice. When you look back on your career change, is there anything that you wish that you had known about making a major career pivot that you now know? I really wish I would have believed in myself more. I think this has been a humbling career transition for sure. I, every day at work, I definitely feel like I don't know anything. It's constant imposter syndrome, but I'm learning. I'm still going through it and I'm still figuring things out. And I doubted myself so much at the beginning because like I said, I was comparing myself to people that had years and years of technical experience. And that really wasn't the correct route, I think. And it is the most rewarding thing to be able to go from, oh, wow, I don't know anything. I'm, this is an entirely new topic and subject to being able to code just a little bit in it and then finally really understanding the concept. It's the most rewarding experience to go from novice to not expert, but less of a novice. So it has been the best part. And having been through this career change, what's one thing that you've learned about yourself? That I could be happy at work, you know, obviously biased by my own very specific experiences, but I just always assumed that work was just work and misery was always attached to it. But you weren't really ever going to enjoy work because work was really just for a paycheck. But the fact that I really love what I do, that I'm constantly learning is such a blessing. And I really never thought that that would be the case. Well, thank you very much, Erica, for taking us through your journey and, and all the ups and downs. I appreciate you getting into some of those details related to your medical condition. So I just wanted to thank you for telling us more about how you actually can stand out and be effective in a role, even if you feel like you don't have the traditional background of a typical person in that role and the impact your medical condition has had on your career and ultimately how you managed to pull off a major career pivot in spite of your condition and all the challenges you faced along the way. And I hope you bounce back from your surgery and continue to make a full recovery and also continue to manage your condition the best you can. Thanks again for coming onto the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Joseph. So I hope you heard some useful insights from Erica about the importance of prioritizing your health, the upside of having a non-traditional background, and how important soft skills are when you're making a transition. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to describe my own tendency to push myself too much and why hearing Erica's story actually led me to slow down a bit myself. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to thank Audible for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks offering over 180,000 audiobook titles for listening anytime and anywhere on your favorite device. And for listeners of this show, they're offering a free audiobook download and 30-day trial. Just go to audibletrial.com slash career relaunch to download your free audiobook today. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, since Erica has so transparently shared her personal story of struggling with fibromyalgia, 
I thought I should pick up on this topic of taking care of yourself and prioritizing your health, especially during those times when you feel you don't have time to do just that. So as I was listening to Erica's story, I couldn't help but think back to those moments in my own life when I had a couple medical conditions come up that really stopped me in my tracks. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you probably already know that about 25 years ago, I had a collapsed lung that was misdiagnosed for a while, and that ended up resulting in an emergency surgery, and then I had an appendectomy a few years later, and I've had a couple minor surgeries since then too. And during each of these cases, I definitely was reminded of how fragile life can be and how delicate of a balance our bodies are in to keep us functioning each and every day. And what I want to talk about with you today is just how easy it is to ignore the signals our bodies are trying to send us at all times, forget about that fragility of life, and just carry on living and working the way you always have. Now, just to give you a little glimpse into my podcast production process and schedule, I'll typically record an interview with a guest, and then that recording might sit on my computer for a few weeks, sometimes even months. Then I'll eventually pull up that episode when I feel like it's a good time to air the episode, listen to it again to remind myself of the conversation, and then record these additional voiceover segments like the intro and the transition to supplement the interview and complete the full episode. Now, this is actually one of the only times when I'm recording this mental fuel segment the same day I recorded the interview with the guest. And I guess the reason why I felt compelled to do this recording today is because when I was listening to Erica talk about the fact we only have one body and we only have one life, it really struck a chord with me at this very moment. So I'm actually at home by myself right now, which is very rare. In fact, I think it's the first time I've slept at home on my own in our own house for the first time in the last two years, but maybe more like four years since our daughter was born in 2017. My wife and daughter have actually been visiting my wife's parents and extended family who live overseas and they've been gone for the past week. And they're coming back in about 10 days. And there was a window of opportunity to go because some COVID travel restrictions were lifted and it's their first trip since 2019. And I unfortunately couldn't go because, well, these few weeks are actually the busiest weeks of the year for me. And I'm also given a couple talks in Italy next week, which will be my first time traveling since 2019. Typically, in these rare moments when I am on my own these days, I try to use that time to get caught up on work. First of all, just to keep up, but also so that I can make sure I have as much time and space as possible to spend with my family when they are around. What that's meant for me is that for the past week, while they've been away, I've been working pretty hard. And when I say hard, I mean that I've actually been working something like 16 to 18 hour days for the past week, nonstop, every single day, which is not my typical schedule. Now, in case you're wondering why, since early September, I've been going a little nonstop. I've given something like 
50 talks for clients during the past seven weeks. Some are in person, some are webinars, other are these hybrid sessions where I'm speaking to audiences both in person and remotely at the same time, which is kind of complex. And each of those talks can go anywhere from one hour to three hours. So there's the time and energy involved with giving the talks, and then there's the time and energy I spend preparing those talks. And I'm given another 20 or so talks between now and the end of the next month. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. This is my business, and I do enjoy public speaking, but I'm a little tired right now. And my wife will tell you, I am not very good at slowing down, even when my body is trying to tell me I need to. Now, I I feel fine right now, and at the same time, I guess Erica reminded me that we all have to pace ourselves, me included, and I'm not very good at that. I tend to push myself rather than pace myself, and I think it's important to just remember that, as Erica mentioned, you got to take care of yourself first. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably pride yourself on being able to dig deep work hard, and make things happen in your life through sheer grit, determination, and hard work. Especially during the past couple years in the midst of the pandemic, that work ethic you have may have actually gotten you through some of these uncertain times in the way that you wanted to. But Erica has reminded us all that we can't keep pushing ourselves like this. You can't keep pushing your body or pushing your brain nonstop. You can't assume that your body can just keep taking it. At some point, it may force you to slow down, and you may not like the way that it does this. Now, you might think your body can handle it, but we all have our limits, and this will catch up to you, maybe not immediately, but eventually, and the same thing's probably gonna happen to me. So let's all try to slow down if we can. I've also been reminded today that I need to do the same. In the long run, I think all of our bodies and minds will thank us for it. This takes me to a quote from Jim Rohn. Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. So my challenge to you this week is simple, but not easy. And I know it's not easy because I can't seem to do it myself. But I'm going to try, and I hope you do too. Let's all try, in spite of how busy we are or how busy we think we are, to not drop the ball on any major commitments. You know, if you got that big presentation, you got to get that done. But to try and find a way to just go to bed a little earlier tonight, even if it's just 15 minutes earlier, and to try to keep to that schedule this week and just see how you feel and to see what impact it actually has on your work. And I'm as guilty as anyone on skimping on sleep. So I'm going to commit to doing this with you, like tonight, like right now, because it's coming up to midnight here. But before I go, I did want to share this message from Eloise in the UK, who's made a major career change herself and wanted to share a lesson she's learned along the way with other career changers out there who may be wondering how to make use of your past experiences and skills when you're entering a totally unrelated field. Hey, Joseph. So I have a story of career transformation or career change. 
I transitioned from a career in corporate law, um, which I had studied at university for, to um, a career as an entrepreneur, so starting my own businesses um, during the pandemic. And the biggest thing I learned along the way was that actually your skill set is always building over time. So it's not necessarily the case that you leave one job and then all of those skills are just wasted or, you know, it was pointless doing all of that work and it's just all gone to waste. I think instead you're always building up this really resilient, adaptable skill set that you can take with you from career to career. So I would encourage people thinking about a career transition to think of it more as a series of steps you're building towards a more holistic skill set rather than you know building up experience in one industry and then leaving and none of that being useful so i hope that was helpful thanks well thanks so much eloise for sharing your thoughts on this topic that we actually touched on today with erica too when she was describing the feeling of being a bit of an outlier when she joined ibm And it's a good reminder to us all that even if your past experiences seem completely unrelated to your new role, actually, those past experiences do shape us. They shape how we think about the world and how we approach our work. And it's hard to imagine how you would be the person you are today without those very experiences from the past. If you feel like sharing your own story of career change or advice for others on the show, or if you just want to let me know what impact your new sleep routine has on you, I'd welcome you leaving me a message at careerrelaunch.net slash 77, where you can learn more about Erica, the Flatiron School she referenced, and also get in touch with her. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 77. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch, and a very special thanks to Erica Rusi for sharing her personal and professional story with us today from Brooklyn. I'm sure everyone in the Career Relaunch listener community will join me in wishing you a full recovery from your surgery and all the best in your career there at IBM. This episode was mixed by Liam McKenzie. Our music was curated by Jonathan Rinaldi-Pole, and the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll talk to you next time.